0: Please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast features Dr. Anirban Mahantni of Seven Investing and myself, Owen Ruskridge. This is the first episode we've gone live straight to Facebook. We recorded this on Friday afternoon. September 17th, 2021, we talk about a few factors. I challenged Anirban to tell me his three favourite factors for picking stocks, and I share three of my own. And then we take some questions from the live audience who joined us. And, of course, we talk about A2 Milk versus Treasury Wine, a little bit about China, and a few other things like Apple's product releases. All that and more on this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. How are you going? i am doing great. How are you? Very good, mate, very good. Um, we, the way we usually start these shows is I ask you what you've been working on lately. So mm-hmm. how about we start with that? And then if anyone's watching us or listening to us on a live stream on YouTube, you can say g'day. You can even ask us some questions if you want. And yeah, let's get the ball rolling, mate. What have you been working on? Oh, well,
1: you know, um, it's getting close to the first of the month, right? So almost 17th. Um, yeah, so working on recommendations, you know, locked in the recommendation, gonna do a presentation for it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll see. Uh,
0: T- can, it, you, can, can you give us anything, or can you, or is it too early?
1: Um, I well, let me see what I can do. Okay, so let's call it it's a very interesting company, as all my <laughs> recommendations are. Um, still, I'm going small, actually, I'm
0: small. going small.
1: I'm going smaller, okay. smaller than, uh, say my last rate. How's that for a
0: clue? Okay, smaller than the last one. Okay, so if you follow Doc's research, you will know what is smaller than that number. So, um, yeah. I love. I've got to admit, I love. I love last month's pick. Um, I won't give too much away, Definitely. but um, yeah, it's a good one, and it, it's a promising thematic which underlies that company. So. Uh, I was very happy to see you. You recommend it, um, and I think we can just we can probably leave it there. So w- outside of that, I noticed that you you interviewed um, Danielle Acuba. Oh yes, I, yes, yes
1: Acuba. Yes, um, it was fantastic. You know, lovely chatting with her. She has like decades of experience, right? So it, you know, kind of makes me feel like okay, maybe my experience is not that much. And um, uh, but you know, what she has these beautiful stories that she can tell and uh, bundles all this experience, talks about her books and things like that. It does, does all of this with so much, you know, humility and, uh, you, you know, like no gloating, no nothing, just, you know, very straight talking. So I actually enjoyed the conversation. Um, you know, I, I thought our wavelengths were very similar, which which I really enjoyed, you know, she, you, many of our thinking the way we think about some of these things as as, you know, very similar. plus uh, if, if people have not read her book the the Shaplicity 2 uh, then the first chapter is called uh, you know Ford versus Tesla <laughs> and who wants so <laughs> well uh, <that's, laughs> let's say you should read the chapter um, and uh, yeah and, and there's a there's a beautiful story about why this chapter is called that which relates to the previous book. Um, so, you know, again, uh, I'd say, you know, when it, uh, that podcast comes out on the 23rd um, Seven Investing podcast, But I'd say that, you know, people should tune into it. And y- if nothing, they will um, learn a fair bit from it. And uh, it, it was a very enjoyable conversation. Let's put it that way.
0: How does it work with the Seven Investing podcast? Do you source your own guests and do you try and make them Australian centric or are you are you picking... Anyone?
1: No, so I pick, well, I pick people that I find interesting and I just reach out to them. Many people say no. Mm-hmm. Um, so Many I people reached, say no. You know, he's saying, also people say no, well, famous people say no. So I reached out to Gene Munster at uh, Loop Ventures, right? And uh, what is really cool though, and I'll say this because this is really cool is they actually replied. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is really cool I said you know, hey, you know, thanks for the invitation. This is not the response that you want to hear, but you know we're going to decline their full life mission. And I think that is really cool, very high class. Um, yeah, we, we reach out to some companies as well. So uh, Simon and Steve interviewed uh, the rocket lab.
0: Uh, I did see CEO, that. yeah, yeah,
1: right. Yeah, that's from down our corner of the park we can claim them to be ours almost. Um, yeah, so I think sometimes we you know uh, we will land up with a with a heavy hitter sometimes you'll land up with a, a very interesting people like Danielle. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I'd interviewed uh, Mayu Tucker who's a CFA based he works for um he works for Zacks in in, oh, right. in Washington. And you know, he and I had a long conversation. It was mostly about Tesla. It's like an hour and a half long conversation. But he's again, if you if you know if you if you haven't seen that podcast, you should see it. And if you don't follow Mayur Taker on Twitter, then you should because I think he's a brilliant investor. He's got a great framework for investing. Shares a lot of you know beautiful nuggets, really useful nuggets that you know it's like free research that people are doing on companies that might interest you and, and, mm. and, and they're doing very high quality work. So. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think it, it's pretty, we're pretty fortunate, aren't we? When we have when we're podcast hosts to be able to interview some really interesting people. I find that um, I love listening to podcasts, but also the interview process is also really unique in itself because you, you kind of, you curate the podcast as well while you go through. And in doing so, kind of reinforce that knowledge that you've learned on your guests. So when you go back and you look at the source material, you learn things for yourself and then you talk to them about it. And you actually, it's a proper conversation where they're the expert in something and you can actually get ideas out of them. It's a really enviable spot to me. And sometimes I have to pinch myself that I get to talk to these people. I don't know if you get that feeling at all. Well,
1: you do a fantastic job because you know when I was a guest on your podcast, I thought, "Whoa, this guy actually prepares." <laughs> he, he not only prepares; he <laughs> digs deep. So yeah, uh, I think you're a great interviewer. Uh, I'm not that good, so my my questions kind of not, not up to that up to that mark. <laughs> so if, so if if Too the interview modest. is not if the interview is not that good, it's not the host. It's it's not the guest fault. It's the host fault. The host was just not that good. So yeah, but yeah. Uh, interviews are really fun. It's really an opportunity to meet new people too. Like, you know, people that, you know, i would never spoken with Danielle before. So this is a great opportunity. Just, again, you find people that are interesting and you can share ideas with That's That's cool. that's great.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, we just had some people jump in the chat and say, Amitesh says, we'd love to get Anaban and Owen's view on Sentinel One and Live360 if possible. Um, maybe we can tackle that towards the end. I don't know if you know those companies very well. But um, we've got a few things planned for today's live stream.
1: Before you go, we, you didn't tell us what you do have done.
0: Oh, have a part been, of that question. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> been doing much. The reason why we're late to the live stream today is because I don't, I don't know if anyone can hear this, but it sounds like Armageddon around me. I wouldn't be surprised if during this podcast, a tree, a gum tree falls on my living room because it is so windy that all the power has gone out and I'm sitting here with my laptop my phone, trying to organise this live stream with you. And anyway, so what have I been working on last week? Basically, um, the equivalent of that in in life, um, just trying to get things sorted on the back end for us logistically. Um, every quarter, we do a big roundup of all of the small caps that we've recommended. And so we've got the two rockets programs. We've got the Apollo program and we've got the Beyond program, but obviously both named after the um, missions to space, actual missions, obviously the Apollo program, but beyond was also one that flew more recently. And um, we, we identified 10 small caps. And then every three months after we've released our initial reports, we do a quarterly roundup. And I, to be honest, as, as an analyst and as an advisor on these services, I actually find it a lot easier to do quarterly reviews as opposed to constantly coming up with new ideas and, and, And trying to kind of be on that treadmill, just have ten picks straight up, which I think our members really like, and then provide big quarterly reviews. So they're going out today, and um, it's taken basically a week to put them together. We do some videos and podcasts, and and throw in CEO interviews and what have you with that. So, yeah, I was actually actually there's this. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a parody account on Twitter, which I'm going to give a shout out to, and it's got. I think it's called Finance People who pat themselves on the back, and I did one of these earlier on where I, I showed our, our track record for one of the programs, um, which is the Apollo program, the first one. And um, the average return on our Apollo program, that's just a mean average return, which I know it's not, you know, whatever, um, it was 155% in 15 months. Um, and that's just
1: a, brilliant, right? <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, I mean. That's pretty good, right? Well, not, well yeah. that's not just pretty good. That's excellent. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 the thing is, I always say to our members that I, I'm not definitely I'm not one to gloat and to boast about it, but because I don't think that um, track records necessarily, at least very short ones. That's only fifteen months. It's pretty much, in my opinion, it's who knows like that. That's more luck than skill in that. Um, but I often find that when it comes to messaging around track record is probably more important than the actual track record itself so um i always say that performance is is kind of passing or transient and process is permanent so if you buy into the process that's the thing that you should be marrying yourself to not the past performance and um yeah i'm just really lucky we've had some really good outliers and we've had some really bad companies so i can i can tell you one of the ones that didn't go really well which was um which was So ASX-listed QFE is the ticket code. And that's um, it's basically a tiny um, payments company, like a gateways company that used to do, that does loan origination and, and that type of thing for US accounting firms and law firms. That's down 70%. So I don't know if you feel this, but when you do these, when you have these membership services, it's really hard to stomach those big losses. Um, not from... You know, an intellectual perspective from your members' perspective, because you kind of feel like you let them down, and so that's kind of what I dwell on anyway. But you know, off to a good start. We'd rather have runs on the board than not have runs on the board. But um, yeah, that's what I've been working on, and it's been exciting. So, and hey, who doesn't love space? You know, space is taking off. I was actually saying to someone, "Here's a question for you: If you were, if you were eighteen again, and and you've just." Come out of high school and you've got a really good score from your high school would you consider st- studying something or something adjacent to the space economy and that type of thing
1: yeah, yeah like uh, i think robotics and uh yeah space would be definitely interesting i think that those are the things that have very high value right now so a lot of engineering kids are going to be learning space and robotics you know I think robotics mm. is really cool as well. Robotics and space. I think the both sort of go hand in hand in many ways. So, mm. yeah. It could hard think, to get in as well. They'll do that most competitive ones.
0: Oh, yeah. But, I, for example, for those that don't know, um, Inspiration 4 launched this week, which is a, it's a SpaceX mission um, which has four civilians, although two of them are qualified pilots and, you know, very... Um, well advanced in that respect. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a three-day mission around the around the world, three, I think it's three, yeah, three times. And um it went went up this week and there was a Netflix Netflix doco with it. And you know, we saw we talked last month about or the month before about um Virgin Galactic and then Blue Origin. I just feel you know there there's a ser- there's been a serious step change in terms of the awareness of what's going on in space I feel like over the past one to two years and I think that's really exciting so if I was a young person looking for a job in a really exciting industry competitive as you say um, I might be looking at something like that because I'm thinking of tailwinds and that's a pretty big structural tailwind I know you guys cover a lot of this in seven investing so I'm not reinventing the wheel here but yeah fascinating stuff Um, okay mate. so we've got some topics we're going to We did a survey. Um, I did a survey. Just I don't know if you saw it, but I did a survey in the live chat. And um, the survey was, which stocks do you want us to talk about today? And I gave four options. I said uh, Apple was the first one. Apple was the second one. Apple was the third one. And Apple was the fourth one. (laughs) And surprisingly, Apple won with a vote of 67%. So um, that fantastic result. So it looks like we're going to talk about Apple for a minute. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, but I might throw it over to you because you had this tweet out um, where you talked about some of the products and kind of what it actually means longer term um, so I'll just throw it over to you
1: yeah so like you know like this was the what I call the S launch right so the the, the 12 was sort of the main launch that happened I think last year mm. and and then this is sort of now they've sort of uh, gotten rid of the S nomenclature but it's now called the iPhone 13 now I looked at the lineup and said ah Nothing really special, significant enough that, you know, even a crazy person like me is going to, you know, want to get the iPhone 13. So I'm not getting the iPhone 13. And even the watch, you know, 20% porn, more real estate and stuff like that, you know, last year had the, you know, the sort of the oxygen saturation level measurements and things like that, you know, altimeter mm. and things like that. You know, There's nothing really big this year, right? Uh, they've got some fitness plus things. So, but, you know, this is... This might make people think, well, wow, you know, it's all very incremental, you know, new screen, new color, new, you know, aluminum steel, whatever, right? <laughs> uh, a slightly longer battery. But that's the beauty of the Apple business right now, right? The beauty of the business is, if you think about the install base, the install base of iPhones alone are over a billion. Mm. Typically people, let's say people keep them for four to five years. We assume four years, you're looking at 250 million units that need replacement right? So somebody on an iPhone 8 or 8S or whatever it is, is probably going to look to upgrade, right? And the 13 is just going to be fine for them. Somebody's going to get the iPhone mini because they like the smaller, you know, they don't want the bigger phone. They're going to get the iPhone 13 mini. So they're going to make, they're going to sell 250 million odd just just because of the replacement cycle. And then they're going to probably sell some to switchers, right? So, you know, it, they're easily going to be selling somewhere in that range. That's, that's for most businesses that would be like okay they will take that what well, they will take one tenth of that any day right so 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 that's great then there's all these things you know they showed like your oh, Tom Hanks and John Stewart is coming back to Apple TV plus why is Apple doing Apple TV plus well the answer to the question why shouldn't Apple do Apple TV plus and the reason I say that is important is think about watch right when the Apple watch came out Fitbit was ruling the world mm. Today, a Fitbit is a small peg in the big hole called Google, uh, <laughs> right? And it almost died if, had, had it not been acquired by Google. So the thing is that when Apple goes into something and it can succeed, it can actually, you know, basically be the winner, even if it's starting second or, you know, starting later because it has that ability. So TV+, Plus again, you know, it's worthwhile for them to pump and, you know, have their strategy and iterate over that strategy. And if they win... Or if they, if they do well, A, that's gonna help other people get into the ecosystem, B, it's gonna be bad news for standalone streaming services, right? You know, I wouldn't want to be a Netflix if Apple is successful, right? Because, you know, Netflix has to worry about churn and net ads. Apple doesn't because it doesn't even have to talk about it, right? It's a sideshow for them until it is no longer a sideshow, in which case they're going to talk about it. Oh, you know, uh, this business is a $10 billion business growing at, you know, 50%, like they talk about uh, wearables. So I think that's the beauty of Apple. And at some point they're going to release something with AR, VR, uh, you know, that'll be the new shiny gadget. So I think, you know, it's it's a great steady business that what people think is not innovating, but is, you know, innovates in spurts, which... It's probably just fine because, you know, they have things behind the curtain that they're working on. So
0: it's interesting, right? I I think as, yeah, and obviously we're kind of syncing from the same book. One of these days I'm going to play devil's advocate on the show, but I've noticed that since getting the watch and obviously had the phone for years, I still wasn't truly in the Apple ecosystem. I still hadn't got a subscription. I think I had like the $1.50 a month iCloud subscription just because I needed it for photos or something. But now that I've got the watch, it's so much easier to use the watch with Apple Music rather than the other apps. Like I used uh, Google Music on my phone. And so that didn't really go on here. So, you know, we all know this about captured audiences, but now I'm even further, even not just in the the hardware space, but in the software space, I'm further into the ecosystem. And so then you're like, okay, now you, you came up with a personal finance hack not too long ago on the show, which was consolidate your subscriptions. So then why wouldn't I get the Apple one subscription, you know, and bundle it all together. And so, yeah, and this, I think that's what a lot of people underestimate to be honest. I think people still underestimate that. I think a lot of people underestimated the switch from, the switch from hardware to software, but I don't know. I feel like it was almost too obvious, but I don't don't know.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great business. I think, um, you know, underestimated for lots of reasons, but yeah, I I find it's still a great business. And it's still very innovative. It's just because they don't talk about stuff like other companies, other companies talk about stuff that they haven't yet completed, right? Mm. Um, Tesla would say, you know, we are doing self-driving but you know, basically iterating over self-driving, right? Uh, Mm. Google would talk about various things that are demo things, right? Apple never talks about a demo. Basically they don't have a demo product. They have a product that is ready for the market and then they show it to the market. So that's the difference I think. Uh, Mm. between Apple and many others.
0: Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Happy Friday, folks, says Mark on YouTube. Well, happy Friday to you too, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Um, So the other thing that is a bit of an interesting one this week um, is a company by the name of IntelliHR released, um, (laughs) announced a capital raising, uh, which is at the smaller end of the spectrum in terms of market cap. So, Where I will get the exact market cap up. $73 million is IntelliHR. It does um, software for HR departments, but it principally does them for the medium sized enterprise. So, um, from my understanding of the business, they charge a subscription fee, but also an upfront kind of implementation fee, which a lot of these do. We actually test drove quite a few of these HR software. You know uh, platforms. And it was easy to see why organizations, medium to large organizations, choose IntelliHR over some of the other ones in the market. And one of the big reasons is the ability to basically automate everything. So they all do that, but IntelliHR has an ability to automate everything down to basically like sentiment and get an idea of hotspots in organizations and it's really be efficient in terms of analytics, which is probably a cut above all the competition. So IntelliHR is a really interesting business, um, but what they actually did in the in the past week is they announced a capital raising of a total of $11.5 million as a placement, and they did it at $0.23 cents per share. And one of the things that I always like to do, I don't know if you do this, maybe it's a more Australian-centric thing, um, is I like to, to forward i um, like to jump forward to the, the section where it's got at the, what discount it was done at. So this is here in the, the, um, the announcement. It says HR will issue approximately 50 million new shares to raise new capital of 11.5 million Aussie at an issue price of 23 cents per share. In addition, 6.5 million sh- existing shares of $1.5 million worth will be divested by the managing director, Robert Brumage, at the same price as the placement to fund the purchase of a residential property. But then the placement price represents a 20.7% discount to the last close price and a 17.2% discount to the 30 day VWAP. So um, volume weighted average price. So a 17% discount. I guess the hard thing is that unless shareholders like retail shareholders like us, for example, are invited to join, it actually has a dilutionary impact on the business, and that kind of leaves a big sour taste in my mouth. Um, I think you've talked about this at length, but you know, ideally, we want to see companies do more in terms of being all like shareholder friendly. We are, like we understand that it's cheaper for these companies to do institutional placement. It's quicker, it's cheaper, but at the same time. If you owned the, the local bakery and the guy who owns most of the shares announced, oh, we're just going to go down to Jeffrey down the street here and he's going to buy 20% of the company, um, that's it. You wouldn't be very happy. And so, I mean, HR relies on, my understanding is it relies on effective capital markets basically to help it grow. And I just, I just find it a little bit concerning, right, that you have – this company that says it's growing very fast, it's got high retention rates and all this sort of stuff, but then it needs to go and issue a lot of shares and do it in a way that kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but yeah.
1: So a couple of quick ones. So I think if you're a high growth company, then I think a couple of things, I have an issue with repeatedly coming back to the market. You know, I'm going to get 10 million now, 15 million, you know, in a, in 10 months time, another 10 million in, you know, 20 months time. I'm not a big fan of that, which basically means that you're never really self-sustaining, right? you you're always looking for acquisitions or things like that. You're something to bolster your position. Not a big fan of that. I'd rather company do some big ones and just get it out of the way. But maybe mm-hmm. the size is just so small right now that that's hard, right? Uh, on the on the you know on the on the share uh, placement thing, yeah have there's another way. I've always had this, you know, when I was looking at ASX small caps, I had this view that actually, if it was up to me, I would never do SPPs or share placement plans, or um, I'd actually get rid of them completely. Because I think it's, in the long run, it's detrimental to the retail investor. And I can explain why I think that. So the problem is that if we, if there are so many retail investors, we're going to give each one of them an equal opportunity. Therefore, you have to give them do some rights issue. That's a lot of companies do rights issues based on how many shares Mm. you have. That's the fairest way to do it. But something fair, you know, fair is not necessarily great in the long run because what it means is, well, the company now is subject to the impact that other people actually have the cash to deliver the cash. And if they can't deliver the cash, then they're short, right? Then they need an underwriter for the short part, right? Just complicates the whole process. Whereas I think if you can do a good placement, so if you can bring a good partner, for example, and you sell all the shares to that partner. Your shares are likely to take off mm-hmm. because that partner's investment likely boosts the confidence of the market, which in in effect means that the entire shareholder base actually came out ahead. Right. So I think you know there are some ways of doing it. Um, I'm not. I'm just not sure whether giving everyone the opportunity is actually great. In the sense, it just complicates the process, takes longer. Um, I've never, like, as, as an example, you know, Tesla has done a number of, you know, what they call add the money uh, ATMs, right? So they basically just print some shares and sell them, and brokers basically are buying them and selling to whoever, right? I never get to participate in them, but I think they're great because, you know, if they're done at the right price in a liquid market, it actually doesn't, you know, I don't get this. You know, my shares are now no longer down by 23%, right? Probably mm. happens, and, you know, nobody notices it, and we we're, are yeah, we're done. Um, so I think, you know, I, you can make an argument either way. And this is just it's for the heck of making an argument. So, but mm. yeah, uh, but I think the bigger point would be that you want the dilution to work in your favor, right? I mean, if the share count increases by 300% over a period of say five years, you do want the earnings to grow at a much higher pace or mm. the revenues to at least grow at a much higher pace. I think that's the bottom line, right? If the earnings grew by 1000%, or revenue grew by 1000%, and the share count went up by three hundred percent. It probably is okay, not a problem, right? So, hmm.
0: do you? So you, you you would say that then less fewer distractions for the management team, capital raise as institutional or or whatever, and you can always as a retail shareholder, you can just buy more shares on the market.
1: That's what I would say because you know think about it, right? Seventy million dollar market cap company, you know it's rough, right? I mean, they have to have, compl- I mean, compliance is going to cost them a lot of money anyways, upfront, right? I mean, just complying with the ASX rules, making sure that they're in compliance, sending all these, you know, four C's, this is like, that's a lot of work. Now, on top of that, they have to also now make sure that they get the money and they get it from everyone. It's just hard, I think. So mm. I'm a little, I'm okay. I'm, I'm all about intelligent. If you can do like, I think a strategic investor and things like that. Okay, so I'll say you what I don't didn't like about what I heard. I didn't like the fact that one of the key stakeholders is actually selling their shares mm-hmm. while they're raising that kind of money in the market, right? That doesn't give me that kind of confidence. Right, again, there is a good reason behind it that, you know, I want to buy a house, which is a pretty legitimate reason, but
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think it's more, for me... It's a long time been a principal thing too because um, for such a long time, financial markets have kind of thrown away with the, the retail investor um, or done away with them and at their expense, which, as you say, you know, logically it probably makes sense to um, to make it as, as efficient as possible and then let them buy on market. But the opportunity, at least if you do, say, Ten million dollars as an insto placement, and then you have one and a half million with an SPP that's underwritten. Um, there's not that much to lose because a you know a lead manager of that, it shouldn't be 2 phased about one and a half million dollars um, through their network or through their own accounts. So I, I get where you're coming from. I guess the thing is too, it costs money. So um, and every time they go to the market, it costs money. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot to there's a lot to like about Intelli um, from what. You know, there's some great write-ups. I think Claude from A Rich Life just did one as well, which um, you can head to richlife.com.au to find out more. Um, but, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting business to keep an eye on. It's still It says it's growing really fast in terms of organic growth. Um, it's growing overseas as well. So interesting business, pretty competitive market. Um, but, yeah, just a, just a capital raising. I thought I'd get your insights on it, so good to know. Um, there is some talking points that we have here. Uh, before we get to some questions, maybe, which was, though, I, I wanted to. Um, you 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 mentioned you wanted to talk about a topic, which is interesting, which is. But, but, um, but what
1: we could do, in the interest of time, though, we could pick hmm. maybe only one of the topics, right, and then we could answer okay. the questions because the questions probably. Okay. Are important? Well, what do you think?
0: Yeah. Sure. Let's do it. Um, okay. Let's. Hmm, let's Up just save, Let's let's save the one that um, we've got about picking winners in industries. Maybe we'll do that one next week. Mm -hmm. Maybe this week, this will be a bit of fun. Um, So I I challenged you before we came on air and I wrote it in our notes here. I said, if you could pick only three factors, whether they're stock ratios, numbers, profit lines, you know, I know you're a big fan of dollar-based net retention, checklists, you know, if you have a checklist for your investing, to build a stock portfolio, you can only pick Mm 3 which three factors would you use to build your portfolio and why? Yeah, this is, this is a tough one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe maybe we'll do one eight at a time. So you go, I go, you go, I go, you go. Okay, okay. Maximum, right. we'll say nine, maximum 90 seconds on each one for the interest okay. of time.
1: Well, so, so the number one is I look at revenue growth. Actually, yeah, well, okay. actually, can I take that back? <laughs>
0: okay, okay. I'll make it, so, I'll, rewind. I'll,
1: I'll, make it so, I'll, I'll rewind that. I'll actually look at gross profit
0: growth. Ooh, gross profit and, growth. Okay. Yeah, so
1: the growth of gross profit over time.
0: Okay.
1: That'll be yep. my number one metric that I'd look at. And, I'll, uh, and you're looking I'll at novelty. absolute dollars? Well, just the growth rate. Yeah. The absolute dollars and the growth rate, but I'm looking at the growth rates. So I want that growth rate to be high. And yeah, I mean, the problem with the absolute dollar is that you'd want to look at that relative to something else, mm-hmm. right? Because, of, because the question says, you can only look at one. <laughs> I'm looking at the rate. <laughs> okay. So the den- the derivative product.
0: <laughs> okay. I did have one in here but I'm actually going to change it now that I, I was actually inspired by that a little bit. The what I what I'm going to talk about is gross margin as a percentage. And the reason that I'm choosing that first up it's because typically the gross margin is a stronger signal for growth businesses that can become extremely free cash flow positive in the future. So maybe not now, maybe not next year, but if you have a gross margin that's very wide and sustainably wide, what you actually the way I think about it anyway is that if you look at an income statement, the gross profit margin takes out the cost of goods sold. The, the way I think about those are the unavoidable costs. So if we've got a wide margin after unavoidable costs, Typically, the other stuff that's further down is not necessarily 100% variable, but a lot of it is variable. That is, those expenses like marketing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that's further down. So the gross margin is probably the one that I would take first as a percentage. So I don't mean to copy you. I think we're going to have a few differences now, but I'll throw it back to you for number two.
1: Okay. So the next thing I'll look at, so I'm looking at gross profit growth. I'll look at the basically the operating expenditure growth as well, um, and here you know just to make it simple i would just look at you know sales and marketing so i'd actually remove gna really just look at sales and marketing and capex really and r&d and so you know basically basically all the other costs minus i guess the gna a you could include the gna too because gna is going to be like a small percentage so i'll just look at the growth of that
0: okay and it it so for us companies we often see a lot of r&d are you Looking at that line item within operating expenditure.
1: No, so so basically, what I'm trying to look for is I'm just trying to look at whether the gross profit is growing faster uh, than the operating expenses effectively, and I want to see that. Basically, I'm looking for operating leverage. So, if there's operating leverage, I could have just said that I'm looking for operating leverage. But okay, um, yeah. So, I want to see the, the the OPEX grow as well, because well, you can you can invest zero into the business, and that's fine but then your business is eventually not gonna grow, but you want that number to grow, but you want to grow it, grow it at a pace that is slower than the gross profit growth.
0: Okay, interesting, interesting. So you're looking for, what well, I think in Australia, the banking CEOs call it Jaws. Um, <laughs> that was what they called it five years ago anyway. I don't know if they still call it that, but they basically want expenses to stay down by making redundancies. We'll do this on a normalized basis and we'll try and lend more to get more interest income. That's basically what they're trying to say. Okay. So I'm going to jump from gross profit margin. Um, I'm going to drop straight down to the cash flow statement, statement number four in the annual report for most companies and for all companies. And I'm going to look at free cash flow. We did a quick kind of put your thumb on it. I think it was last week or the week before where we just took um, operating cash flow net operating cash flow or net cash, or net cash flows from operations. Um, and then you take away any CapEx on the income on the cash flow statement. So things like property, plan and equipment, uh, maybe even investment in intangibles. And even, and this is a shout out to Lachlan, um, who's on Twitter, probably watching this, um, which is uh, leases, the new accounting standards brings in leases. So you might want to look at some of the leases there as well to determine if you believe, um, you know, if those are going to be recurring subtract them now fully aware that most companies in the early stage of growth won't be free cash flow positive but it's just about seeing how that that metric is shaking out I think for anything that's like medium stage or um, you know past startup maybe into scale up you want to see that free cash flow level um, closing over time towards zero towards break even and then becoming positive very quickly quicker than revenue so um, free cash flow would be my number two
1: Already Okay. I like that. Um, yeah, actually, that's are very similar. We're looking at different metrics, <laughs> kind of similar metrics. Okay. The last thing I would look at is just the, just the absolute increase in share count over time. Uh, and this has caught me out a number of times, you know, everything looks good except that the share count is also growing. So the market cap keeps growing, but my share price does not actually grow. So I look at share count.
0: Yeah. And, do you tend to look at that over three years, five years? Are you looking at over just, as long as possible? Or?
1: Yeah, no, I just tend to eyeball. So, like, of course, when a company is before IPO, the share count is low. Then the IPO, there's you know, the share count is <laughs> sometimes doubles, triples, whatever, right? And then you know, there are secondaries and things like that. There are placements that happen, right? You just, I just want to look at the general cadence. Like, I don't want to be in a place where. You know, we just talked about IntelliHR, right? I mean, you know, if you keep adding a lot of shares, then you better really have very high you know gross profit growth, right? Otherwise, mm. you're gonna be, you know, if you dilute by 10%, you better have 30, 40, 50 percent growth in the gross profit um area. Otherwise, you're gonna be in trouble. Uh not not you're not gonna be in trouble, you're gonna have a large empire, it's just the shareholders are not gonna make enough money. So
0: mm. Yeah, I think it's hard because we've only got three. They've given us an artificial limit of three factors to consider. I but, like um, it. Yeah, it's, it forces us to have conviction. I know in some fund, um, in some fund manager stock pitches, what they force analysts to do is only have a buyer or sell rating, even though that's not a you know perfect world. It's just to force them to have an opinion on something and to show conviction one way or the other. You know, that would just be behind closed doors. This is not necessarily something they invest in. Um, for investors but it's just an interesting way to kind of see what's important to people okay so my number three which is similar to yours is i've gone from the income statement to the cash flow statement now i'm going to the balance sheet and i'm going to look at cash versus debt just in absolute terms the amount of cash versus the amount of debt and this is similar to yours because if a company is growing you want to know how it's funding that so What cash versus debt tells you, it's such a simple thing. Just look at the top of the balance sheet and then go down about two-thirds of the way down for the interest-bearing debt or whatever you want to call it. But what what it shows you is basically the, the financial leverage, but also the legacy of capital allocation. So if a company has a lot of debt today, why did it choose to use debt? You want to go and find the answer to that or... Why did it choose debt over cash? Does it not have enough cash or and then that leads on to your point about share count? But um, you know, a a good way to think about this would just, and we've brought this up before, um, is just to look at a company like CSL. It's got lots of debt today. Ten years ago it had bugger all. And so why does it have so much debt today? And you then maybe you can trace that back to incentives and and whatever. But that would probably be a very simple metric. And on the, you know, that's kind of like the, the risk. The risk off side on the risk on side what actually a good cash balance does apple's a good example it's got lots of debt but it's got lots of cash is you can have optionality in your business because the balance sheet gives you flexibility facebook has this all the big names have this.
1: You, you know i love this one i you know, I'm, I'm just you know i was going to pound my table saying i didn't think about this because this is something i have been complaining about a lot um you know this is a great example right so you said Apple. Um, we had a bunch of businesses here on the ASX that had to raise cash. So, a great example is Cochlear. Cochlear had to raise cash, it had mm. to go to the market to pay a fine. That is the most bizarre thing that I've seen. The other bizarre thing that I've seen is Nab goes to the market to raise cash so that it can pay dividend. That is completely bizarre. Uh, and then the other, you know, okay, these, you know, in these two cases, I guess the market has been forgiving, so the stock didn't take a pounding, and there were enough buyers out there to off, to take up the shares so that they could pay the fine and they could pay the dividend. But guess what happened to uh, Flight Center, right, and Webjet? So if you run a business on too low a cash balance, and you know, you can, this is called like hyper-optimization, right? And I'm going to pay the dividends out with franking and hallelujah, everybody's going to be happy, right? Well, when the ones in a millennium something strikes, you're going to be toast. You're going to be in a really hard place. Uh, A company like Booking.com didn't have any problems. They went to the debt market, raised debt at effectively zero interest rates because they had billions of cash, you know, tens of billions of dollars of cash on the on the, on the book. And I think, you know, the coronavirus uh, situation really gave me another sort of eye-opening, um, mm. you know, examples of, eye-opening examples of just how important cash is. And it might seem like the cash is sitting there doing nothing but, gosh, You know, if you can close your shop and still nothing happens to your shop, (laughs) that is a good position to be in. That's the business I want to own uh, Mm. because, you know, hey, that's just just safety. Mm,
0: For sure it is. And it's probably one that for all of our complicated theories and models and strategies and formulas, just the humble, how much cash is in the bank is such a powerful thing. Uh, and it's still just so important to so many companies um okay so, so just
1: just, so last, just, to, just to make this quick right so in the big travel companies right so Web, uh, webjet raised money flight center raised money uh but you know um corporate travel's position was slightly better so they didn't have to be as dilutive in, their, in to go to the market right and and a, and a small company called circle you know they they had good they had the backing of booking and things like that so they basically just navigated this Okay, they didn't have much of a problem, really, right? So I think it's interesting how cash can be or may not be, you know, um, useful. But in in most instances, they're really like the lifesaver.
0: Mm, absolutely. Um, okay, so we've just got some questions come through. Um, we've got one from Mark, uh, which we'll try and tackle really quickly. And Mark says, "This is great, folks. Would be good maybe for the next show to talk about factors for investors looking at ETFs." So factors, um, I think what Mark might mean is maybe, as in how to pick any ETF, like a checklist. Um, Mark, we've got heaps of content on this, but ETFs, in a sense, um, in Australia at least now, are pretty well regulated. So, um, in the past, they were kind of a new age thing, but I think the coronavirus kind of crash, if you like, proved that the, the under the the market making and, and basically the companies that underwrite the process of an ETF are pretty, pretty resilient these days. So especially from the big ETF providers, so there's like six big ones. Um, in terms of other things, just so, just some quick ones is you want to look through the ETF, go to the ETF provider's website to see what they're actually investing in because you might end up with an ETF that does international shares that's investing in the same thing as the other international shares ETF. And then all of a sudden you've got an overexposure to Apple or, or whatever. So Uh, Don't just look necessarily at the surface, actually look beneath the surface and see what's going on. Um, So that's a good one. And uh, Amitesh, this may be one for you, mate. Um, With everything that's going on in China, would you be dollar cost averaging into Chinese equities or wait out on the sidelines till the volatility subsides? So we can't obviously give anyone specific advice, just full disclosure. We're just just chewing it and talking about investing generally. But just, I guess the question is there for Anirban, Chinese equities...
1: Yeah, so there's I there's a publicly public-facing article available on some of my views on how to, so that you can, if you go to 7investing.com and look for um, this article, I forgot the name of it, but you know I talked about Alibaba as an example, and so, so there's a lot of nuance here of what's going on in terms of the tech crackdown. Some of that is about market misuse. Some of that is not necessarily targeted the way people think it is, um, so... Here's the bottom line, right? Depends on how you want it. If you look at a company like Alibaba, and I'm just using Alibaba as an example because that's the one I looked at, it is really cheap. It is like cheap. Now, the question is that can, if it can maintain even some semblance of similar free cash flow growth and things like that, then it is really cheap. But, you know, if the market, because of the changes in the market, if the market becomes more competitive. So one of the cases with Alibaba, for example, was how Alibaba locked in marketplace participants. Basically, they said, well, you can be on Tmall then you can't really be on anywhere else. So the exclusivity, right? Well, that, you know, and if you think about a marketplace, you know, the more buyers, the more sellers, this kind of can feed in, right? But from a seller's point of view, they would like to be on JD.com. They would like to be on Tmall. Mm. They would like to be in every place because you want to increase exposure, but that is not in Alibaba's interest. So this is just an example uh, of, you know, issues. And it's not that Alibaba is the only one who does exclusive things, but, you know, the Chinese government is basically saying, you can't kind of do that. so again, if you think about a competitive landscape and so on, then and if you're willing to tolerate volatility, maybe this is. not I personally don't have any China exposure right now. That's um, just yeah, me neither. Yeah, uh, but you know, some of those stocks are great companies at great prices. If you believe that the long-term future, so it really depends on you as to how you know and you know your you know your mm. tolerance for volatility and your views on how the market is going to shape up.
0: Just quickly, was the article about? seven or eight days ago, the China tech crackdown. Is it a buying opportunity? Is that the article?
1: Um, does it,
0: does and you it talk about the, Alibaba and DD? Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: does it have the great wall of China as a picture there? Or, yeah, it does. Or, yeah. Yeah. So then, then that is the article. Yes.
0: Yeah. Cool. There's the, the, the articles there. It'll be available in the show notes for anyone that listens to this back. But um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I actually just spoke to Charlie Aiken, who's from AIM Funds. Um, And he's been divesting China for about two years now. Although he still owns a small part of Tencent at the time of recording it, anyway. Um, So that was really interesting. And um, good question from Amitesh there. Uh, I don't have any exposure to it either. But it's um, just—it's an interesting market. And I fully agree with you that unless you have some special insight into how geopolitics plays out and how the CCP, you know, tackles some of the big issues with tech, uh, it's—it's yeah. I mean, you've got to make that trade off yourself. Um, I'm quite comfortable, to be honest, having Australian equities and, and US equities that may or may not have some indirect exposure to China, and they can manage that on a case by case basis. But for me, um, yeah, I just don't need to. So I'm not in a rush necessarily. Um, so,
1: so just quickly to, to to Owen's point, I think you know if you if you buy like a consumer goods company. Typically they would have China exposure. So that I mean, you know, if you're buying, for example, I don't know, if you Treasury wine used to have China exposure until they didn't, but yep. you know, A2 milk used to have a lot of China, so it has <laughs> a lot of China exposure. So you could, you know, those are examples. Like if you have Nike, you know, people are wearing Nike shoes in China. So you'd have a lot of China exposure indirectly. Apple. That's a great point. Actually, something to keep in mind.
0: The the world famous Apple also has exposure to China and actually is growing very quickly there as of the last quarter. So um, yeah. We all know what happens though when you don't, you, you still need to pick good quality companies if you do this. Because as we know, A2 Milk, not to say it's a bad quality company, maybe that's the wrong introduction to this segue, the segue to this company, but it's down 67% in a year. Um, so, you know, wait for it to get
1: acquired. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then on the other side, we've got Treasury Wines, which has divested its Chinese business or just discontinued it, we should say. And now it's up 35% in a year. So, I mean, yeah it can ebb and flow and that's probably your your trade-off. You know, you've got to make that assessment yourself. Maybe in the next 12 months, it's the opposite direction, but it's a pretty complicated situation right now, at least geopolitically. So um, personally, I don't have any special insight there. Okay, so we will just come to the closing remarks here, mate. I've just got a personal finance hack that I can just throw out there, which is something that I talked about to... Uh, with mortgage broker Chris Bates and and Kate Campbell on the Australian Finance Podcast this week, which is basically just using equity to um, use that to buy into the stock market. So a lot of people don't know that if you have a lot of equity in your house, you can't just have a little bit, you need a lot of equity in your house because the banks adjust it based on what is reasonable for the, the current value of the house. You can typically only borrow up to, say, 80%. Um, loan to value ratio so you have to have less than that in order to get any equity out to then invest in the stock market but you can do that um, people don't really think about that some people weigh up selling a house to then go invest in the stock market but then you have to rent um, and then you have you would want to compare that to the interest cost of you know having your mortgage um, so obviously there are risks involved with using leverage to buy shares but and we would I uh, personally I would never advocate for things like margin lending or anything like that but if you are going to use any form of debt, a line of credit against a home is often the cheapest form. So that's something that you can talk to your financial advisor about. And it's a personal finance hack um, that I can I can bring out today. I actually had a bit of a rave and a rant about this on Twitter the other day how much money has been soaked up by my housemate, um, as in my house. And I'm saying that to you, my house, uh, how much money has been thrown into it. And I'm sure it's gone up in value. But um, when you see the performance of some of your investments in the stock market, you think, Wait, do I? What's going on upstairs here? Is there, do I need to rewire something?
1: know, <laughs> I, I don't want to turn this podcast into another hour long. But you know, oh, that's yeah. my biggest, biggest rant has always been that property doesn't have to be that expensive because property being expensive means it just takes away from everything else, right? Um, yeah, it takes away from your spending. It takes away from your investing in the stock market. Uh, for what an asset that you know <laughs> you're going to live in <laughs> until mm. you. Hopefully or at some point you die and then somebody else gets the money. Right? It's kind of not very useful. So, uh, yeah. I'm not a big fan of that.
0: That's a fa- fair enough. Um, okay. So we just, we did actually have a question earlier on about sent sent sentinel one. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that company, mate, or if you can share anything, but that was, I have NYS- never looked at it. So. Yeah. Yeah. So NYSEs maybe next week we can have a look at that one. Um, for you, Amitesh. But the other one was Life360, which is an Australian business that, well, not Australian business, but it's um, involved in kind of, how do I put this? Uh, parents download the app and they can track their children. Um, and then there's a whole range of applications that are now being bolted into that ecosystem. It was made famous by um, some TikTok remarks. Um, so basically it went famous for all the reasons that you wouldn't want your company to go famous for, but then that spurred on heaps of use, which brought down the customer acquisition cost. Um, It's really interesting business transitioning its um, revenue models uh, in terms of different packages and the like. Um, A lot of competition in the space, but it definitely seems to be one of the biggest players. Um, So interesting business, Life360, something ASX under the ticket code 360. Um, If you have anything to share with us, Amitesh, happy for you to just write into us and just tell us what you like about it and maybe we can respond to you next week on the show. Um, But yeah, Sentinel One. It's the first I've heard of it too. So apologies, we can't give you any more information there. Uh, Mate, this is our first live session. Pretty good, I would say. I'd give us a seven out of 10. I think we can do better, but it was probably more than. than,
1: uh, Well, we'll take more than that. I think it was pretty smooth. It was pretty smooth. It was pretty smooth, and we handled some questions. I think that calls for like eight and a half, nine. It's the weekend. Come on. You you can't give a – yeah, I don't want to end the weekend on – Oh yeah, them. yeah. That's, okay, yeah, this, it's,
0: this it's is a nine. Nine. It's a, nine. It's, a yeah. it's a nine. Yeah. Um, so Mark asks, when is the next one? Well, Mark, jump on Twitter and say good day to us. Um, we've got at seven a That's Anirban's handle. Mine is at Owen Rask. Um, jump on there. Follow us on Twitter, and we'll tell you when the next one's out. We typically release the podcast on a Saturday morning Australian time. And we record it sometimes during the week. This is the first one that we recorded live, um, so <laughs> it's once a week, Mark. And you can you can say good day on Twitter to to ask us your questions and see what we're up to.
1: It's and contingent I mean, on my willingness to put on a shirt.
0: Yes, yes, we're all in <laughs> lockdown, um, so you definitely got more dressed up than I did. i Mickey Mouse, but I mean that's
1: well okay. Mickey,
0: Mickey Mouse is fine. Mickey Mouse is but great. We could have talked about Disney or anything, so it, yeah. I guess it makes sense. Um, if people want to find out more about what you're doing, like that, that article on um, China or even the, the report you released last fortnight, where would they go to find that, man?
1: Just go to seveninvesting.com. Uh, investingcom um, There's a lot of stuff that's public-facing, podcasts, articles. There's some stuff that's uh, behind the paywall, of course, like things like recommendations and so on. Um, if you want to subscribe, mm-hmm. you don't have to, but you want to. If you're interested, then you just hit you know forward slash subscribe. Use the RAS code, get ten dollars off. Mm-hmm. As I say, you don't have to uh, if you if you're not into it. But yeah, there's a lot of, lot of good stuff out there that we put out just for educational purposes. That you know, mm. podcast yeah. things like that, articles.
0: Yeah, I um I still haven't listened to this this the uh, interview with Rocket Lab founder um, Peter oh, yeah. Beck. that but uh, Please,
1: Please. <laughs> people should. That's yeah. a good one to listen to.
0: Yeah, I just put a link in the, uh, the the comments on YouTube. If you are if you are watching us on on YouTube, or if you're not watching us on YouTube, keep an eye on our Twitter accounts because if we do this again, we want to see you there. Today was a test run for us just to get a handle on it. But um, yeah, you'll find all the details to join Seven Investing um, in the in the episode description. No matter where you are, and you can find more. Uh, about what we're doing at Rask and the Rockets programs at www.rask.com.au, and you'll see a tab there that says subscriptions if you want to join. Wonderful. Mate, absolute pleasure as always. Well,
1: the all the pleasure is always mine.